Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we welcome Dr. Emily Kyberg. Emily is a New York City-based chiropractor, strength enthusiast, and she has developed this amazing program called Thyroid Strong. She developed this program after her own struggles with her underactive thyroid, and this program specifically helps women with Hashimoto's thyroid work out without burning themselves out. She mixes DNS, which is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, anatomy and motion, strong first kettlebell principles, and so many other modalities while working with her clients and in order to help women lose weight and beat fatigue. She is also a mama to two really beautiful children, baby Brooklyn and Elvis. We are so excited to have her on today. We talked so many topics from strength to hormones to chiropractic modalities. So we are really glad to have her on our show today. We hope you love this episode. Welcome, Emily. Welcome to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. We're very excited to have you on today. Guys, I'm excited to be here. Virtually, but yes. Virtually, (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background and a little about yourself. So I'm a trained chiropractor. I've been in practice since 2007. I trained out in Oregon at Western States. And I think just over the years and always being curious, I'm kind of like the chiropractor that doesn't adjust that much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) which a lot of chiropractors would probably cringe and roll their eyes. But I think as I've practiced and evolved, you know, first it was just like soft tissue work and active release technique and Graston. And then it turned more into rehab. So kind of looking at strong first and DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, stabilization and PRI and working from kind of the core out you know, and then you get people really strong in the core and then evolves into like, okay, well, we're, we're mostly on our feet. So like, how do we work from the feet up and really exploring anatomy and motion? And then, you know, everything is, uh, it's kind of like, what are the tools in the toolbox and what is it, what can you give the person, the right person at the right time, the right tool. So over, you know, the last 14 years, that's kind of what the practice has looked like and evolved into collaboration with trainers and PTs and pelvic floor therapists and massage therapists, and just really finding a collaborative approach and keeping an open mind. Yeah. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. I think we all have that mindset. Strong first. um, I'm also, I'm SFG one. And I, I think strong first is like, that is hands down the best like personal training cert that I have just because like they're so anal about everything, but also it just, it simplifies really complex things, I think. Um, and it really does make people strong and strength is a skill for sure. So why did you, why did you choose that um, initially? Cause I hadn't even heard of it. I actually worked with a chiropractor that was really involved with strong first and that's how I found out about it. But otherwise I don't think I would have discovered it. So. Yeah, I think at the time, so 
when you go through school, chiropractic school, they talk about someone coming back to you after getting treated, adjusted, and being sore. And you explain it to them like it should be kind of like a normal soreness, like you did a new workout at the gym. And just through practice, I noticed if I was adjusting people who are hypermobile or adjusting people where they didn't need to be adjusted, they would come back and be like, I'm really sore. Like three days later, like I got hit by a bus. And kind of through FMS and Greg Cook and Greg Rose, you know, and they do a lot of stuff with RKC and just learning about kettlebells. I think another big inspiration is Dr. Kathy Dooley, who does, uh, she created, what is it? Immaculate Dissection, where it's kind of like anatomy meets movement and rehab. And I was like, I want to teach people to get stronger, like this integrative rehab, not like hands and knees donkey kicks, right? Things that are recreating what they do in life. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, being in New York City, you carry your groceries from Trader Joe's and it's like 50 pounds and you feel like a crazy bag lady and you have to know how to pack your shoulders. (laughs) Versus, you know, I was playing with a lot of like SLT, Tracy Anderson, like kind of stuff that like, I just never felt integrated. So you know, through Strong First, it was really the only certification that you have to train to go to the certification, right? And I thought that was really interesting. And everyone who was kind of going down that path had the same qualities of being really curious, of wanting to be 1% better every day, of having a growth mindset. And I was like, you know, if everyone is having these, you know, these qualities, there's something there. So And, you know, when do you really learn strength? Like they kind of, you know, I kind of like threw the barbell around in high school, not really in college. I was like on the treadmill. And so you'd like, I think in our society, it's never really taught. And I wish it was, you know, at an earlier level. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's not really warranted in most of our daily activities until, you know, you're not expecting it. And then that's when you get injured. Yeah. I think it was the quality, like the fabric of the people that drew me to it. Yeah. Same. Same here. It's awesome. You guys, uh, you're making me want to go get strong first. I already wanted to do it. You'll love it. I'm going to do it eventually. I need like another year. But I think it's awesome. You have a bunch of different, you've done a bunch of different continuing education. So we have talked in the past about anatomy and motion. I just tell me what you love about that certification. For This is for people that could be interested in it too. Yeah. I got introduced to Gary Ward through the NKT community and neurokinetic therapy. And he came to New York, I think it was like in 2011 or 2012. And again, everyone at this, at this training was like, I was like, like mind blown by just the people I was meeting. And I think Gary looks at the body um, just in a really different way. Chris, his like right hand talks about how anatomy and motion isn't another tool in the toolbox. It's the toolbox that everything else goes into. So it's what does every single joint do in the three planes of motion through each phase of gait? And that can be really complex to process in the brain, but I think Gary makes it accessible. And there's other biomechanics or foot up trainings, but I think his comes at it from a very accessible place. 
and things that do not get cleaned up on the table, you'll do anatomy of motion and you're just like, oh my God, why didn't I start with that first? (laughs) Uh, So you, you treat the body, right? But our body has so much externally through injuries. We, you know, a client comes in, a patient comes in and they're having all these issues, but then there's also the internal problems that may be going on, such as hormones and other aspects of treating the body. Now, I know you yourself have a story with Hashimoto's, so we'd love to hear your story, and we'd also love to hear how you use your story and what you've learned with your patients. Yeah, so I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's 18 months postpartum with my first, Elvis, and he is four and a half now. You might hear him in the background, (laughs) jumping off the couch. (laughs) And all the typical mom (laughs) symptoms, like, oh my God, I'm so tired. You know, when people tell you, yeah, you're a new mom, that's normal. Oh, I'm like really having a hard time losing like the baby weight. And you're like, yeah, you know, you just get told that's what a new mom experiences. Or I couldn't finish my sentences. And people be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're a new mom. And so I was just like, I guess this is what a new mom feels like. And then 18 months later, I'm like, this cannot be normal. (laughs) These new mom symptoms 18 months later. And I went through several doctors, like a GP, an endocrinologist, multiple functional medicine doctors. And then I met Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I mean, I can say this with full faith. It's like, she really did save my life and change my life. And, you know, she ran probably like 18 vials of blood work. (laughs) And she was like, you know, you're on your way to an autoimmune condition. You have thyroid, the presence of thyroid antibodies, you know, we call this Hashimoto's. And I was just like, I couldn't even process it, but she was like, this is what we're going to do. And like, thank the heavens we met when we did. And so part of it was, you know, changing how I was eating, dealing with different environmental factors like mold exposure, heavy metal exposure, but it was also changing how I was working out. I think I was very much into like the work hard, play hard, workout hard, burnout. So like a double I'd go to Barry's boot camp and I'd walk across the street and I'd go to soul cycle class. <laughs> was like not <laughs> was very normal and for years. And I think I was just burning the candle at both ends, not only working, you know, 12 hour days and then, you know, getting up early to work out and then maybe going in the evening and working out. But part of the journey was um changing how I was training and working out and really focusing on preserving and maintaining my muscle tissue versus trying to just like destroy it to get as skinny as I could possibly imagine. So part of that was a mindset shift. And then, you know, co-treating patients with Gabrielle, she was like, they need to maintain and preserve their muscle. And, you know, oftentimes with Hashimoto's, there's a muscle aches, joint pain component. And she was, you know, dealing with a functional medicine aspect. So it was really interesting to see certain clinical observations of common tendencies amongst all these women. Why is it so important to maintain muscle with Hashimoto's? Well, I mean, in general, it's pretty important, but like specifically Hashimoto's. Right. So the hypothyroid, the underactive thyroid component, which would show up in blood work as like an elevated TSH. So every single muscle fiber, muscle cell is a place for a thyroid receptor. And so to stimulate the muscle will encourage a turnover of your thyroid hormones. Just like Gabrielle says, muscle is the organ of longevity. It's our metabolic engine. 
there's research out there that talks about with an underactive thyroid, we have slower tendon turnover. So all of our tissue, people are like, okay, what is that? All of our tissue is continually replenishing, regenerating. And with an underactive thyroid, hypothyroidism, it's slower. So for example, a lot of women experience bilateral knee pain right in the front of the knee, right? Where that infrapatellar tendon inserts into the top of the tibia. So like squats feel terrible. Lunges feel terrible. I've had women be like, I want to play with my grandkids, but I don't want to get on the floor because my knees hurt and I'm afraid I can't get off the floor. And it's right where that infrapatellar tendon, like they point like right to it. So with an underactive thyroid, we have slower tendon turnover. So it will change a, how you cue in a strength move, but even before that, from kind of more of like a 30,000 foot view is a common recommendation is do yoga or walk. And it's not enough for that population. So I think it's important to start to shift the mindset that if you want to get out of that joint pain, um, those muscle aches, not only getting your thyroid managed properly, but starting to strength train. So if there's like an issue with turning over tendons or connective tissue in general, is there, do you see like more frequency or less frequency of hypermobility in these people? Yeah. So my clinical observation is hyper, like more hypermobility. There's no studies or research out there yet. I think just hasn't been done yet just because a lot of research isn't done on women with autoimmune conditions because it's hard to create a control group. But um <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that, that those knees that kind of travel back behind the ankles, when you're mm-hmm. in a downward facing dog, you know, I've had women say, you know, I'm in a down dog or plank and I'm always that woman who the yoga instructor comes over to and is like, put a little bend in your elbows and you start to check their Baton score, which is a, an orthopedic check. And there's nine points in the body where there can be tissue laxity and a lack of integrity in the joint. Yeah. So the thumb to the soft part of the forearm, the pinky will go back beyond 90 degrees. And just from working with these women, you know, as you are like, okay, we need to strength train. And they're like, well, I want to do yoga. (laughs) And you're like, I know, but you feel like good for an hour after yoga, but then you feel like you're hit by a bus, like just sore Mm -hmm. because you are, you know, compounding that hypermobility. You take those women off of kind of the low impact stretching or yoga or even like a Pilates bar and you get them strength training and you start to create this integrity in the joints and, you know, muscle tissue to support the joints and they start to feel so much better. It's really, it's really crazy to see. Have you noticed them having a harder time gaining muscle? Yeah, Just because their metabolism is so slow or crazy, I guess. With yeah. I mean, I think just going hand in hand with being, having an underactive thyroid, it's just harder to maintain your muscle, just harder to keep the muscle, the meat on the bones, basically. What you were just talking about with yoga and Pilates and the low impact activities, how do you help clients transition their mindset? Because that's a really big transition. Yeah. Especially so it's interesting. like all my treatment rooms have kettlebells in them, you know, like a lot of women come in and they look at those and they're like side eye them or they're like, <laughs> I don't know about those. They might, you know, hurt me. And I think, um, I use the kettlebell from like, I use it in the DNS, the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization rehab. And so while some people might start someone from the standing position, 
And there's so much neurologically to integrate when you're standing, Mm -hmm. especially being hypermobile, right? You can't find your center. You feel like really ungrounded. So I like to start them in like a six month supine, like what we did when we were three to six months old, right? And then teaching them to brace by maybe they push a 12 kilo kettlebell towards the sky and they hold it in a six month supine and they just breathe and brace. And so I think that feels less intimidating and we take them through the whole progression, like the neurodevelopmental baby progression. So by the time they're standing, they know how to breathe, embrace, and get you know stacked with their like ribs over their pelvis and not be in like that sway back rib flare. So just for the audience, I mean, you just kind of said it, but DNS, the whole like core of DNS is based on exactly what she just said. So developmental baby patterns, like from birth all the way to when we're like ambulating around. And it's been really useful for me with a lot of people too, but that's cool. Yeah. Less intimidating than like a kettlebell swing too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think just the way fitness has been structured, like a kettlebell swing is a really advanced move. Like someone shouldn't just walk into a hit class and start doing kettlebell swings. <laughs> they have to own their grind. No, but they do. <laughs> Yeah. And you go into any Globo gym and you see people doing like snatches and kettlebell swings, like it's no big deal. However, it's a very complex skill. 98% of the people in the Globo gym should not be doing that. So I think people do get intimidated by strength training because that's their vision of what it is. Whereas like isometrics are, could be amazing for a ton of people, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. How about preventing injuries in those people? Cause I'm sure that I mean, there's obviously a fear transitioning from things that their doctor, their other doctors probably recommended with like something easy and gentle and you're having them strength trained. Is there anything you give them for advice or to train them to help kind of prevent these injuries with their hypermobility and when they start to strength train? Yeah, I think it comes in the cueing and I think it's, you know, just teaching the basics. So teaching a hinge pattern, a lot of those people cannot access their hamstrings. So maybe we'll put them in like a PRI 9090 and get them to just like feel and breathe and then transition them into a hinge pattern with a kettlebell, which would be, in my opinion, more accessible, for example, deadlift and like a barbell. So yeah, I mean, a lot of women with that hypermobility, mobility, they'll sit their hips back and they're like, I don't feel anything. And then you'll like try to get them to lift their butt up and they're like, I don't feel anything. And you're like, okay, how am I going to hang out there for 10 minutes? Let's see. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we teach foot dialing or how to find like a tripod foot. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about it a bunch. Like it always starts with the breath. I wish it didn't (laughs) because for a lot of women, it's so hard to access that, especially if we've been kind of like so, in. you know, sucking in and drying in. Um, but yeah, it really, it really starts with the breath. And everyone bypasses it. They bypass the feet. They bypass the breath. Usually when they hinge, they're like, lift your toes up, get on your heels. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see. It won't watch you fall over if you don't do that. Yeah. I see it literally daily and it drives me insane. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's just yeah. not, it's, it's not sexy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. So, but the stuff you can do with it is pretty sexy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A component of the Hashimoto's that I have found is like this anxiety. And for me, I feel like part of that physically is, you know, when you're hypermobile, you can't feel grounded. Like your energy is going to lift. So if you can get someone 
you know, off the dance cardio, that's probably making them more anxious and get them grounded and lifting heavy, even emotionally, they're going to feel better. Yeah. And being in New York, a lot of people are just very stressed out, very anxious. Do you notice that? And what, I guess you do a bunch of breathing with people, but is that something that you will also see? Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. Probably also just like these times. Yeah. Of uncertainty, but yeah, for sure. I think everyone that comes in, there has to be like a parasympathetic, like get them into the parasympathetic, even if it's like three to five minutes and then you can do the work. Otherwise people are coming in all uh, in this extended pattern, Mm -hmm. flared, sway back, really tight in their thoracic spine. And you're like, oh my God, how am I even going to work with this? Yeah. And it's interesting because I think DNS will often start from the ground up. PRI, I feel like 90-90 is like a really big go-to position. And it's so interesting that like, that's not the norm if you go to a workout class. Like everyone's like, hey, let's start on our feet and let's do some like, let's get the heart rate up, like do high knees or jumping jacks or whatever. So um, do you utilize ground force method at all? Ground force method. I've heard of it. I don't utilize it. I haven't been trained in it yet. Okay. I haven't like gone through any certifications, but do you know Craig Liebenson directly? Like, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he like was on um, okay. my podcast, Muscle Medicine. <laughs> oh yes. I actually listened to that episode. Yeah. He's amazing. And one of the, the guy, my friend, Anthony Amat, he's a chiropractor as well in Seattle. He works for Northwest Sports Rehab. I don't know if you've heard of them, but he was the one that introduced me to Strong First and like the concepts that Craig talks about and stuff. And another thing that he utilizes a lot um, is ground force method, which is basically like, you know, like an animal flow type thing, but it is seriously like we would do it before my strong first certification. We would do ground force method prior to all the other stuff that we would do. You know, that was pretty like neurologically taxing and very, very sympathetic, but it's pretty cool. I'm sure is it, it similar to like original strength or animal flow? I guess it sounds like. It sounds like it's similar to animal flow. I'm not familiar with original strength, but I mean, I'm sure, I mean, all of these things, they all have the same goal, you know, it's just sort of putting their own little twists on it. But I think that's what's so cool about people like Craig and you and that you're integrating all of these things versus just like going down one dogma trail and like only listening to that. Yeah. I love what he is putting out right now of like using the load as a stimulus, using the environment as a stimulus versus over cueing. Cause I think all of us, whether it's rehab or strength can fall into over cueing. And you, I mean, you can literally watch someone like their eyes just glaze over and they go into like neural fatigue and their brain just can't process anymore. Yep. And as a practitioner, you're just yeah. like, Oh, Oh boy, what am I going to do now? <laughs> How can I like bring them back? <laughs> yeah. Well, and with, yeah. With telehealth that everybody's forced to do now too, it's like what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting how he can use the environment. So for example, even just doing um, like a split squat, right? And having instead of maybe the bell here or dumbbells on the shoulder or, or kettlebell head in the goblet squat, you can use a kettlebell to the outside of the front foot or you could use a wedge or mm-hmm. you could you know, use some sort of stimulus to get the person to hinge back versus being like, sit your hips back, fold your belly to the top of your thigh. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know, feel your hamstrings. You could just put something in front of them and they would sit their hips back. Yeah. So I think for me right now, that's what I'm trying to work on is like, how can I get 
the communication and someone to do something without overloading them verbally. So it's funny you mentioned that because this morning I actually sent Megan a webinar and I'll send it to you. It's Connor Harris. We had him on our show and it was just a lot about gate training, but a lot about how use, how to use the external load to force different parts of the gate cycle in your split squat. And I found it very interesting because like you were just saying before about over cueing, I feel like that's every beginner trainer, every clinician, athletic trainer, whoever, they do that for like a few years. And then you kind of, maybe, I don't know, but that you have to learn like when that client can't take it. And I know with myself, I know if I'm silent and I tell them if I'm silent for a while, it means you're doing a good job. Like you should, you don't want to get that many cues from me because people want feedback too. So it's very interesting. Um, What has been a challenge for you during this telehealth or as we've transitioned into this virtual reality? (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's actually been a really big transition. So um, I had a clinic on 57th and 6th with seven practitioners and I closed it down, like full stop, broke my lease early and closed it down and furloughed everyone and then had to lay everyone off. And so that's been, it's been a big transition we were doing telemedicine and it was interesting to see what the response was. So the people who, when we were in the clinic before COVID, it was someone would see me as a practitioner or one of the other chiropractors. And we would do a mix of like ART DNS. So it was a little passive, but then it was a little active, right? And then they would go and see our strong first trainer who's been a trainer for 22 years. So everyone was doing strength. Some people liked more horizontal on the table, you know, treatment. Some people were like, let's just go lift. And the people who liked to lift were more open to the telehealth. The people who wanted the soft tissue and someone's hands on them were like, I'll see you in like a couple months. And then another couple months rolled by. So it's been a big transition, especially to have like a, a space with a really high overhead in Midtown where like <laughs> no one is going to right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, as a practitioner, redefine like what is success for yourself as a practice, as a business, as a person. Yeah. I know that there's some people who, I mean, there's definitely benefits to manual therapy, 100%, but I find that manual therapy without, you know, empowering the patient to move better is pretty useless versus the other way around. You can get a lot further with just movement without any manual therapy, even though it does enhance it for sure. Have you been able to like transition any of those people that were really not up for telehealth or how are you approaching that? Yeah. I mean, it's been a challenge. I'm still like, I'm still seeing people face to face instead of a team. It's just me now. So, you know, I think the power in the manual therapy comes when there's an old surgical scar that's throwing off your motor control or there's a pelvic floor issue. Those are the two times where I'm like, yes, like I re- like someone's hands-on will make a world of difference and they'll either recover really quickly or they'll be in the same cycle of like doing this rehab and strength and not getting better. There's a woman that comes to mind. She had bilateral plantar fasciitis to the point where she couldn't 
like stand in the shower. She had to like sit when she showered because her feet hurt if she stood for more than five minutes. And she was doing short foot exercises and foam rolling her calves and doing all these like kind of physical rehab stuff, glute bridges, you know, dead bugs. And she's like, I still like can't shower for more than five minutes. Otherwise I have to sit. And, you know, just going more into her history, she had two kids and she had, you know, quote unquote, vaginal normal birth. And I was like, let's like dig into this a little bit because something is not right. And it took a couple of visits, but she was like, oh yeah. She like started crying. She's like, you know, I had an episiotomy and it, I wasn't asked. It's just like, you know, snip. And, um, and through working with a pelvic floor PT that I sent her to and them doing work around her old episiotomy scar and some trigger point work on her pelvic floor. It was like two weeks. And she's like, oh my God, I just ran across the street after my kid. And I don't even think about, you know, standing in the shower. It was like such a quick turnaround. I was like, but no one had looked, no one had asked. And she hadn't really willingly offered it up. She so probably didn't think it was connected. Yeah. So that was a time where I was like, okay, the, the manual work would have been made the difference. Mm. Yeah. That's crazy. It's very interesting how you can get so much out of somebody's history. You can get more out of just talking to them and their history. I think sometimes than you can even get out of a full movement assessment. If you really think about like everything they're telling you and you really dive deep and they te- they have to tell you stuff, but it's very, that's a really great example. It's a great, yeah. that's a great story. I feel like, maybe this is other places. I haven't practiced other places, but in New York, it's a little bit hard to have someone sit down and slow down and tell you all their old injuries. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, let's just, you can kind of tell they're like, let's just get horizontal and like (laughs) get to work versus taking the time to like every single injury. And sometimes it's taken multiple sessions. Right. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, I jumped off a dumpster and broke my heel when I was, you know, 14. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's probably some compression <laughs> in that joint. Maybe, just maybe. Just Although, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I do, I do agree with that in New York versus living in other places. I've lived in other places and people are just on a different level of calm in other places. Their baseline calm is way lower than a New Yorker's baseline calm. So I would say New York is the unique one. I've traveled a ton and I've never been anywhere as stressful as New York. <laughs> Seriously. It's crazy there. It takes one to make it here. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So this is such amazing information. So I want to talk a little more about Hashimoto's and thyroid and training for thyroid because I know you have a program out and I want to just hear a little bit about what you're offering to people because we do have a lot of people on here that either have autoimmune diseases themselves or are interested in just how to train maybe their clients that have Hashimoto's? Yeah, I think there's two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is the woman who is very sedentary and is so tired, like going to the bathroom is exhausting and they can frequently push themselves if they overdo it into like a, what you would call a Hashi flare up where just all their symptoms are heightened. And it's like, okay, so what do you give that woman? And then on the other spectrum is the woman who is probably training six days a week, doing the daily doubles like I was doing. And 
fatigue is like really creeping in and how can that woman dial it back? And so I feel like there is this sweet spot where those two different ends of the spectrum can be met. And, and so I put together a program called Thyroid Strong. It's kettlebell based because I feel it's accessible when you're kind of learning form. It's forgiving on <laughs> when you are learning <laughs> from not knowing form to knowing good form. And it's three times a week, 20 to 30 minute workout. There's a DNS component as a warm up, right? So there's no like passive stretching or foam rolling to, <laughs> to warm up. What I call the essential seven moves, which is like, I'm sure you guys have some of your own version of like a hinge, a squat, a push, a pull, a carry, a lunge, an anti rotate. And just from working with women in the clinic, I felt like I was a broken record. And so I was like, you know what? Why don't I just like put this in a program? And I was getting women like up and down the East Coast down in New York being like, hey, I heard you have like, like you work with women with Hashimoto's from a workout perspective. You know, I've tried all these things like running marathons or, and I just like can't lose the weight and I'm super fatigued. And so I put it into a six week program and there's probably like 120 women who've gone through the program. And for me, I wanted women to have more fatigue and to feel confident picking up a weight and maintaining their muscle. Like I really focus on that in the program. You know, we talk about protein from the muscle centric medicine of Gabrielle Lyon and just what is your optimal protein targets to hit. And I have some other great functional medicine doctors on there, like Ralph Esposito. And they talk about like the other underlying root causes that can create environmental load on the system to address so like mold and heavy metal toxicity. And it's wild to work with women who have never picked up a weight and they're turning like 55 and it's like the first time they picked up a weight and they went from like falling asleep and dragging through their day, you know, falling asleep at like seven. And they're like, I have so much more energy. And my husband just told me like, I have more definition in my back. And, <laughs> and it's just like, wild you know like there's like a woman in like the middle of like alaska you know like emailing me and be like i love this so it's been really cool to like take what has been done in person and kind of refining not only on my own body but with all the women that i treated in person and kind of putting it out there in the internet space because so many women with hashimoto's don't have the resources that we have in big cities like i have a woman that lives on a farm in the middle of nebraska like her, her GP is like a two hour drive, you know? So to have expert interviews with like high level functional medicine doctors and to have the cueing and the training that she wouldn't, you know, normally get, I think is just really a powerful tool. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. The really best cool. part of um, this whole online experience right now is being able to reach so far across the U.S. to people that you never expected to reach and you're able to, you know, share your wealth of knowledge with them. That's amazing. Yeah. I never fully like wrapped my head around it. And then there was like a woman in Australia and a woman in the UK and then a woman in Puerto Rico. And I was like, whoa, this is wild. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And people are more receptive to it now, I think too, because we've all been kind of forced to. So yes. things are changing. Some good things are coming out of 2020 for sure. Yeah. Minus like the like there's no toilet paper or kettlebells. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. I had to pay so much for my kettlebells. 
and they're all chipped up and I had to tape them, but they are well loved and they were far beyond worth it. So yeah. They're still out of order everywhere. I don't know what's going on. I know. It is crazy. crazy. It is super crazy. Okay. So we ask all of our guests the same question. How do you move your brain and or your body every day or, you know, every other day? How do you move your brain or your body? (laughs) So I'm currently doing 10 minute EMOM every minute on the minute, a hundred kettlebell swings every day. And I usually do some sort of like DNS. I'll either do like a Turkish getup or I'll do a Czech getup, which if you haven't tried, Mike Rintala and Maggie Rintala are doing like a workshop right now on it. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a more functional, more DNS-esque version of the Turkish getup. So the Czech getup, I'll do that usually unweighted just to like work out any sort of niggles, but yeah. It's me. Your brain. The brain. I am always like, <laughs> I always have like my Bose headphones on and granted, I probably look like I'm ignoring my children, but I'm not, <laughs> but I'm always learning. Like I always, right now I'm curious about muscle hypertrophy and how do you create that without wearing down the joints? So studying a lot of blood flow restriction and reading a lot of, um, watching some videos on that. And then also I'm always learning more about just thyroid health, thyroid numbers. How do different people treat Hashimoto's? So cool. Oh, awesome. And where can people find you? Where can people find your program and how can people contact you? Yeah. So they can find the program, dremilykybird.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, same. Awesome. Yeah. And Thank the, you. the program's called Thyroid Strong. Perfect. Sweet. So. I already have some people I know I'm going to recommend it to you. That was amazing. Yeah. So awesome. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank um, you so much. Thanks for being on our show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Super fun. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.